everyone. If you are listening to this, it means we made it to January 1st. This is actually being recorded in mid-December, but it's going to go out on New Year's Day. So hopefully, you know, the rapture. Well, I don't know. I shouldn't say hopefully the rapture didn't happen. That would be a good thing. Anyway, welcome to Sharing the Journey for January. I'm here today with my good friend, Cheryl. We've been friends for over 20 years. I don't know why she sticks with me, but for some reason she does. Um, we met through the American Council of the Blind through our local chapter, which neither of us are involved in anymore because she moved and I quit. But anyway, um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to sharing Cheryl's, to Cheryl sharing her story. That was almost a tongue twister with you all. And, uh, yeah. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Shelly. Um, so why don't we start by you telling just a little bit about yourself currently and your life, and then we'll get into your life story. Okay. I live in Wisconsin now, which is a long ways away from Shelly. And I have a daughter that is my adopted daughter that I've had since 1985 and she has severe developmental disabilities and is blind. And so we've lived together for quite a few years. And I also have a really great community of friends here. Um, quite a few of them are blind, but they're, I have sighted friends too. And I enjoy Wisconsin, except that this time of the year, it gets a little colder than I would like to have it be. <laughs> this time of year, I threatened to move to Arizona. Arizona <laughs> is such a striking opposite that I'd be in trouble pretty soon there too. So, that's a little bit about me. Cool. So, but you're originally from Washington, right? Yes, I'm originally from Washington State. I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, and then went away to California. Uh, for college for a couple of years and then came back to Washington. And then I, um, I got, I had my first teaching job in Idaho in a little tiny, tiny community called Midvale. And then I went and got my master's in Tennessee. See, I've been all over the place. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And we're not even talking about all the Greyhound bus trips I took that covered the other states that I've actually not lived in. <laughs> <laughs> and then I lived in South Carolina for a while, uh, teaching in a, a state institution. And then I came back to Washington State. And actually, I've been in Wisconsin three different times. I moved to Wisconsin in 1988 because I wanted more mainstreaming for Rachel, which actually turned out to be not such a great idea, at least part of the time. So I homeschooled her some of those years. Then we moved to Alabama for a short time. And then we came back to Wisconsin. Then we moved back to Washington because I wanted to be closer to my parents for a while as they were getting older and, and the rest of my family too. And then in 2001, I moved back here and I have been here ever since. So you're blind from retinopathy of prematurity, right? I am, yes. Okay. How premature were you? 
Um, I think I was at six and a half months, if I remember correctly. Okay. It was six or six and a half. So a little. And I had a twin whose lungs weren't well enough developed and he didn't live. Oh. Yeah, I've always wondered what it would be like to have a twin. Um, and I wonder if he would have been, been blind also or if he would have been mm -hmm. able to. Hmm. So tell me about your family growing up. Well, um, there were five of us girls. I was the second one. And then the twins, they weren't identical twins either, um, but they were girls, came next, five years after me. And then one day my mom got us all together and my sister Sandy, who's older than me, said, oh, no. And I said, oh, really? I know she gave us some little hint and I said, oh, mom's going to have another baby. I think my sister was kind of embarrassed because my mom was like 40 or close to that anyway. So anyway, Vicki was the one that um, finished off the family. And um, my, uh, my growing up was, um, there were some very happy times and some very difficult times. Um, both of my parents had alcohol problems and you know they'd go through times when they were doing better and then times when they weren't doing so well. Um, but I never had, I was very fortunate having a family. I never doubted that my parents loved me and I never thought that it was my problem. I always knew that they had their own problems and this was causing this and that it wasn't because of me being blind or and just you know because I was a nuisance or us kids were a nuisance or something like that. So, so I was very blessed in that way. When my parents were... Um, were doing well, we, I think, had very happy times. And it never got to the point where things were just really bad for weeks on end or something like that. And we never, we never were deprived. I mean, we never didn't have, it, you know, it wasn't that food wasn't being put on the table or we wouldn't be bring, being closed and sent to school and all that stuff. Um, but it was still, it was still very difficult um, sometimes to to um, deal with that. And, you know, I'd get my hopes up when they were doing better and then, you know, oh, here we go again. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that part was difficult, but I had, I had friends, um, not, I don't know, some, some years in school, I felt isolated. Um, and I know a lot of blind people say this about public school, but I'm still glad I went to public school. But I mean, everybody has their own opinion on that. So I'm not trying to get into that on the, this podcast. Um, but I'm still happy that I went to public school. But there were some years when I had friends and others when I felt like, you know, I pretty much wandered the whole halls my, all alone. Um, so that that was, but church was always a good support. Um, I always was able to go there. I had, there was a woman in particular that um, would take me to church and talk to me and um, invited me to do things with her. And, and so that, that was really helpful. Um, but the contrast, when you have a family where there's alcoholic um, parents, it's not a one thing or the other, at least for a lot of people, it isn't. It's not like, oh, we had a horrible life or no, it was wonderful. Um, despite that, 
it's really a mixture of some really very good close times and then some other times that you pretty much would like to file away and not bring out again. Yeah. So. So, yeah, my next question was about church and you already kind of answered it. So did you go from from like early childhood on or? I don't remember too much before I was before we moved back to Tacoma, Washington. See, my dad was in the Air Force, so I was born in Tacoma that we lived in a couple of other places. The only place I remember is Mount Holland, New Jersey. And then my dad left the Air Force. And so um, we moved back to Tacoma because that's where my uh, mom's mom lived. And I believe that's, I may have gone to church sometime before that, but I don't remember it. Mm -hmm. And that was when I started um, going to church. Um, Probably when I was about seven or eight years old. My church wasn't, um, well, they were Presbyterian. And I don't remember what, you know, there's several denominations of Presbyterians. And we had really good like crusades almost every year for several years where somebody would come and present the gospel. And some of those were really interesting. But looking back on it, I don't think the church itself was as strong in doctrine as it could have been. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I think the pastor was kind of more interested in political things. And I don't necessarily mean, um, I mean, a person should be interested in, you know, we live in this country. And so I don't think that interest is wrong. But he wasn't really doing it from so much a biblical basis, I don't mm-hmm. think. And, mm-hmm. and um, he wasn't, um, I don't remember his sermons all that well. I know I listened to them, but I don't <laughs> now. Um, but uh, so, and actually when I, when I became a Christian, um, I was nine years old. Um, at least that's, that's where I mark it as being when I became a Christian. Um, I was nine years old and course I was it was a Presbyterian church and I guess I had been like christened because my grandmother was um from the Ukraine and my my dad's side of the family is from the Ukraine and my um I so I think I sort of even remember a little bit of it. I was really little though I think I had a christening there and so probably the church accepted that baptism um but when I became a Christian I was never asked if I wanted to be baptized, which in that church you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until I went away to college and attended a church that they were talking about, you know, you need to be baptized. I always kind of knew it, but I didn't know how to bring it up to my church. So I actually didn't get baptized to like um, nearly 10 years after I became a Christian. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me and I may edit this out too, but it's up, it's up to you, but you've kind of come back to your roots, I guess, and that you now are more of an interreformed theology and you kind of explored a lot. Um, it seems yeah. like not, not that you left your faith, but you, it seems like you've explored a lot of different, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Denominations, belief systems within Christianity. Does that make sense? Yeah, actually, there's a progression to that. Um, because, of course, in, in the Presbyterian Church, I really didn't. Um, and like, except for some use. Um, I mean, I read my Bible. Oh, in fact, that's a wonderful story. Because when I was, um, when I became a Christian, I didn't have a Bible. And nobody knew how to get me one. 
And I, I didn't actually tell people, though I think they got the message other ways, but I didn't tell people that every night I prayed, Lord, please get me a Bible. And at some point, some salesman or somebody came to the door to talk to my mom and she mentioned me wanting a Bible. I think he, I don't know exactly what his connection was, but um, at any rate, he um, referred her to American Bible Society and all the circles in my church um, put the money together which wasn't as much as it is now, but then that was still a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, And they got me a Braille Bible. Oh, how cool. Yeah. And, and so, so the Bible's always been precious to me. God's word's always been precious to me. Um, But I didn't, didn't really get as firm a foundation of teaching in the Presbyterian church that I was attending. Um, Because like I say, I don't think that it was, it wasn't really, I didn't know what reformed was when I was going to that church. So that tells me something there. And um, so it was really, I kind of took step by step and some of the steps were good steps and some weren't so good to get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. And now, ironically, I am actually going to a Lutheran church and I don't agree with all of their doctrines. However, um, because I don't have anybody to either watch Rachel or bring Rachel to church with us on Sundays. Most of the time I had to find a church where there was a Monday night service. Mm -hmm. And so, so now I'm in a church that I don't totally agree with. And so I have to do a lot of reading and studying on my own, just keep myself on course Mm And not just sort of drift into a pattern of, well, this is what this church believes. So that's fine. Um, I love the people in the church and the pastors are two of the kindest. um, And I think attempt to be the most biblical of very many pastors I've ever had. Hmm. And and, uh, yet I still have to take the responsibility to keep myself knowing where I am. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's important in any church, whether you think you agree with it or not, you know, to do your own. Not that I'm all that great at it, but I try. No, I think you're absolutely right. It, it really is. Um, if you're just depending on your church, then let's say pastors change or let's say the church takes a turn one way or the other. And you aren't going to be prepared to know where you stand and whether you're just going to go with the flow or whether you realize that you need to reassess your involvement with that church. So that's kind of one of my, my questions. Um, I can ask it now because it sort of fits. Who is someone that you read and study and look up to in the faith? Oh dear. Um, Well, I'm trying to think um, as far as what I read. Um, there have been some people that I really trusted and they've kind of gone a little bit off into this um, critical race theory and those kinds of issues that I don't agree with. And um, so it's kind of hard to give, you know, I I uh, listen to uh, podcasts a lot with um, uh, James White itself and Omega Ministries. And, um, you know, he's, actually a little bit younger than me, but that, I mean, now I'm to the age where my pastors are usually younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, John MacArthur, um, I think is, you know, I may not agree with him on everything he believes, but um, he's somebody that's, that stood strong 
where he is and has even been willing to make changes where he realized that he had doctor wrong or something like that. And so I have a whole lot of um, respect for him um, and would pretty much read anything that, that I find out is new uh, from him. And I do read a lot of books. Right now I'm reading a book. Um, it's actually by William Tyndale, who um, wow. was actually, um, well, he wasn't really burned at the stake. They um, suffocated, strangled or suffocated him first, then they burned his body. But he was burned at the stake for um, um, translating the Bible into the English tongue. And um, it's kind of a challenging book. It's kind of in that King Jamesian. Yeah, yeah. But but since I grew up on King James, now I'm not. I mean, I still love the King James in some way, but King James is not my primary Bible anymore. However, um, it's a little challenging, but. Um, the way he talks about persecution and how we should feel about it and the way he talks about or, or how we should react about it and the way he talks and he's talking to these uh, priests and, and he says, um, so you, you don't you don't think that we should have the Bible. We lay people should have the Bible. You think that it might do us harm. We might interpret it wrongly, but you'll let us read and you listed a bunch of books at that time that weren't really very good books. For a person to read he said but you'll re- let us read those so what are you what are you saying about this that you you think that that um we can't read um you know god's book but that you'll let us let us read all sorts of junk um hmm. that's not the way you put it but that's the idea i got from it um so i like to read uh things um biographies and things from people in the past too um i think it helps us to kind of know where we've come from Mm-hmm. Um, but offhand I can't give you a list of people but I do read a lot of books and I um, you know I don't just read people I agree with um, I do read other other books in order to um, to understand more clearly why I don't agree with them if I don't agree or you know if I find out I'm wrong I'll change my mind mm-hmm. um, so um, but I, I do enjoy reading a lot and Cheryl was my introduction to Christian adult Christian fiction. Um, I still <laughs> Cheryl's big role in my life, introducing me to Jeanette Oak. <laughs> yeah, I don't find as much really good Christian fiction anymore. Um, well, even Jeanette Oak, I mean, you can look at it and say it was kind of it was in some places simplistic. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I enjoyed those stories a whole lot. And I just don't always see the well-developed characters and things like that anymore. That and so, if you ever want to refer me any to me, you can do that because I do still like fiction, but I don't find a lot of fiction anymore that I really, really enjoy. Um, but it's not because I become. It's not because I become unhappy or turned off to fiction per se. I just don't see many people writing really, really strong fiction. Okay, you said you went to public school and then you went away to college and you studied education, right? Yeah, um, I I think my my BA was actually probably in psychology. Oh, um, but but, it but was yeah, I was telling awful. my counselor today you would make a good counselor, so I was yeah. I've done some counseling years and years ago. I took a, um, a one of the um, counselors at the church I was going to. It taught a class for people because they wanted people to counsel, uh, especially women in the church. 
And, and so I did take a counseling course and I did uh, do some counseling. Um, and I actually enjoyed it. I mean, it made me a little bit nervous. I mean, you're, you're um, listening to and at some points helping to advise somebody, another person. And that, you know, that could be like forgotten forever or it could leave indelible good or bad marks. And so yeah. the responsibility of that, I think is, um, you know, extremely necessary to understand if you're going to counsel that you have a responsibility. And you have a responsibility to, to communicate to the person how to think through whatever they're working with and not just give them answers. This mm -hmm. is what you yeah, do. Yeah. Or, um, you want to make them stronger in the Lord and stronger in their own ability and not dependent on you. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you end up teaching then if you're... Oh, that's a pretty neat story too. I, in college, I um, was... After I, I'd gone to Biola in Southern California for two years, and I transferred up to Eastern Washington. Hang on. Anyway, I, you transferred, I, to, I Eastern transferred Washington. to Eastern Washington. Then it was State College, not University. I think now it's turned into University. Um, anyway, um, I transferred up there, and they had a program at Lakeland Village, which is one of the state institutions um, for people with developmental disabilities. And you could get free room and board in an apartment on campus if you worked at least, I think it was 15 hours a week um, there. And so I applied and got accepted. And um, I worked um, in, of course, they put me in what was called the blind unit. Um, it was actually, it was a day program um, that I think was being funded at the time for um, some of the blind, um, um, not, I don't know if there were any small children. I think it was like older kids and adults. And um, at first I was not happy about it because I didn't want to be um, stereotyped. Right. You know, blind, so, but I fell in love with those people that I worked with, um, especially some of them, and um, really, really enjoyed it. And so- What kind it, of things were you doing with them? Um, a lot of what I was doing, um, I was doing some, you know, some things like motor skills, like, you know, blocks and stuff like that. But a lot of what I did was, was just uh, fun stuff. Like um, I had a game with some of the kids, some of the kids where I'd say, or some of them were adults, but, but where I'd say, okay, can, um, I think we got this from, they, they were taking some sort of an IQ test, some of them, some of them weren't verbal, but some of them that were, they were doing some kind of IQ test and they'd ask these silly questions. So I got them all laughing. I'd say, okay, do elephants fly? No, 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 you know, or, or someone would know, but you know, okay, do, uh, do fish swim? Um, do uh, birds eat macaroni? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Just, you know, silly fun stuff is what I did with them at that time. I wasn't so much doing a lot of teaching per teaching, se. Right, right. And uh, I just really, really enjoyed working with them. And so that really uh, changed my, my life, basically, um, in the sense that I um, 
knew that I really wanted to work with people with um, developmental or multiple disabilities. And in fact, that's my master's was actually in, uh, it was actually a program in working with multiply handicapped blind, but that really can be transferred to any kind of multiple, you know, any kind of medical, multiple handicaps. And um, so that, that really did change my life. And I actually, during that time also brought, um, um, I, when I was no longer living at the institution, I still worked there. And I also, um, um, or I visited there, I should say. And I also uh, visited and uh, with kids at um, Interlake, which was supposed to be for more um, fragile or more severely handicapped um, people um, that really had you know, physical disabilities too. And I enjoyed working with them. So I pretty much knew that I wanted to work with multiply handicapped people. And um, also at that time, I, one of the girls there that actually was a year older than me, I think, um, I took her, once I moved off out of Lakeland Village myself and was living in an apartment, I took her home with me um, every, almost every weekend, a lot of weekends, and um, actually would have wanted to take her as a foster child or um, or foster adult, or um, or even adopt her, and um, that that didn't work out. Um, I think the family was afraid that if she moved out of the institution, and then um, I couldn't keep her, that they would you know have to deal with responsibility that she wouldn't be able to go back there. Mm. So, but that and that's that was heartbreaking to me, um, and. Uh, but that led to eventually to my adopting Rachel. Okay, let's see. It is 151. We started about 125, but I think that's a good place to stop. And we'll come back part two and talk about Rachel and uh, everything else.